listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. morning. I encourage you to go ahead and take a seat today and I have your Bibles handy. We're going to turn there in just a few seconds, but just to greet you before we get into God's Word together uh, this morning. It's a privilege to be here with you. It's uh, good to be back in the West. And you say back, you came from Ontario. What do you mean back? I went to Briarcrest for four years and stretched four into five way back when, back in the late 90s. And so I always believed I was going to live in the West. Actually, I was moving to BC way back when, when I hit a deer and changed the course of my life and ended up in Ontario back home and never came back. So it's good to be back and even introduce my son a little bit to the West. I know I I call Saskatchewan West. You don't call that West, but this is West. And so good to be in the West. Uh, Good to be here filling Meldon's pulpit. Uh, We've come to know Pastor Meldon a little bit over the last couple years, just being a part of Harvest Bible Fellowship and uh, being a part of pastor's conferences and sitting with uh, the Lutzers at different meals and sharing hearts and just growing to know and love and appreciate your pastor and his heart for the Lord, his heart for the Word of God, his heart to see God do great things here in Kelowna. And so it's a privilege for me to come and fill the pulpit. I don't take this lightly. And I'm praying that God will use this uh, mightily. And finally, it's just a good, good to meet you. We call ourselves a fellowship of churches. And it's hard to be a fellowship when you've never seen the people you call fellowship of churches with. And so uh, just know at our church, Harvest Bible Chapel Niagara, we pray for all the Harvest Bible chapels, this church included. And so now I get to go back to our church and say, I've met them. They are real. They exist, they have smiling faces, and they are kindred spirit with us. So it's good to be here uh, with you today and opening God's Word. And so let's just get there. Let's open up uh, God's Word together. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be at this morning. Acts uh, chapter 4. When I had the opportunity to preach here, I emailed Meldon and said, Meldon, what do you want me to preach on? Where are you guys at as a church? And he initially said, bring us some of the heartbeat of harvest of what we as a fellowship stand for. And I was perfect. I can do that. And so right away when I think of the heartbeat of harvest, as you know, our four pillars, uh, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship and believing firmly in the power of prayer and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness, my heart is grabbed by all of these, but the older I get, the more I really am driven into our third pillar, believing firmly in the power of prayer. Back when I was young, new Christian, I had this sense, this supernatural sense of like, I can do this all myself, and quickly, I learned that we've got nothing apart from Jesus Christ, amen? And we've got nothing apart from the power of prayer. And I know Meldon's heart for this church and this city is the same as my heart for our church and the Niagara regions. We so desperately want to see God do something with our lives for his glory. We don't just want to exist. Individually, we just want to do life as a church. We don't just want to come to church every Sunday and say we put on a service and go home. What we long for more than any of those things is to see the power of the living God come alive in us and change us and use us for his kingdom. What we long for as a church is to see this place be a place where people can come and not just have a service, but be transformed by the Word of God as you hear the Word of God and get under God's Word. And how do those things happen? They happen as we get on our faces and call out to God in prayer. And so our church, Harvest Bible Chapel, has 
these four pillars on our websites and yet we want to live these things. We want to be these things as we walk through life and we want to be a church that believes firmly in the power of prayer. So Acts chapter 4 is one of those passages that we come back to often in our church. I preached this four years ago through our planting phase before we even launched. We're only a three and a half year old church and we keep coming back to it. We keep coming back to it and I pray our church never leaves never leaves this heartbeat for prayer. And I pray as you guys start, only now eight months in, that you just be captivated with a heart for, oh God, what could you possibly do here in our church, in this city, for your glory? And so before I even get into this, I realize that I don't have what it takes to communicate this in a way that you're going to hear it and understand it and, and walk away changed by God. And so before we even pray and talk about, preach about prayer, you know what we have to do? We have to pray. We have to pray that God will grab every heart here into his word today, that he will take this and apply it deeply into our lives. So let me get on my knees to show my dependence on the Lord. And as you sit in your seats, I pray you get on your knees as well to show uh, your dependence on God this morning as we open up his word. Father, what a joy it is to worship you this morning with a like-minded body of believers who've been changed by the living God. Father, I thank you for the fellowship that we can have as brothers and sisters in Christ without even ever having, to, having met each other before. We have a bond that's deeper than blood. It's the Holy Spirit living within us. And God, I thank you that that Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see the truth and the magnitude and the beauty of Jesus Christ and quickened our hearts to the things of God. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit has caused us to love the Word of God and desire our lives more than anything else to be used in this life for the glory of God. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Word today. I thank you that we can open it and understand it and study it, that we would know your heart for us, your children individually, and your heart for us, your community of believers called the church. And Father, our prayer this morning is simple. And it's clear, God, revive us again to be a church that truly prays, not just here in Kelowna, not just here in Harvest Fellowship, but God, in our country, would you revive our church to be a church who longs for the thing that you long for, people who long to know the word of God and worship you and pray to you and be used to, for bold evangelism throughout this nation. Revive our nation, God, I pray. Start a revival again in our nation called Canada. And God, we know it starts with prayer. So teach us this morning, God, what it means to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us the passion behind prayer. And then, God, don't just teach it to us. Help us to live this out on a daily basis. We love you this morning, Lord. We love you because you first loved us and called us out of the world into your marvelous light, the darkness of the world into your marvelous light. And now, Lord, as we sit there, I pray that your spirit would descend upon us, that you would show us what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking this morning, starting at verses 23 right to 31. Uh, but we, what, what I want to get to before we get to this passage here is the context, because context is so important in the Word of God. You probably, Melvin teaches you all the time, don't just take the Word of God and apply it however you see fit. Look at the context, and the context of this is Christ establishing His church Christ establishing the first church, and we see from the very beginning of Acts, after Jesus Christ left and poured his Holy Spirit out on the church, we see the prominent role of prayer in the church of God. The church isn't just for activity, just to connect us with each other, that's important, but the prominent role of first connecting with God through the power of prayer. Here's what's happening in Acts chapter 4. If you flip back a page now to 4 verse 1, the little subtitle will be Peter 
and John before the council. And this whole chapter is set up in that Peter and John are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. The Spirit's been poured out on them. They are fired up about Jesus. They know that their God is alive and they're preaching Jesus Christ. And as they preach Jesus Christ, they just had such massive opposition against them by the leaders of the religious realm of the day. And so you think it was easy in the early church. You think, man, if it was just the early church, it would be easy. But Peter and John faced intense opposition. In fact, they were beaten and they were dragged before the, the council, the Jewish members, the Sadducees, who didn't believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And so their goal is to stop the message of Jesus going forth at all. And so they dragged Peter and John in and they made them stand before the high priest who presided over the religious system of the day. They heard their story and they were kind of on, on trial. And Peter and John just stood up and boldly shared the truth of what they knew about Jesus Christ. In that passage in Acts 4 that I'm not going to read, but I'm just explaining right now, it was clear to everybody these are just two ordinary men, but that they must have been with Jesus Christ because of the way they were explaining the gospel and the scriptures. Two fishermen, two regular guys, two workers. And so in that time, it was Peter and John's own people who were striving to stop the very movement of God and deliberately attempting to thwart their end of taking the gospel to the nations. And so this whole passage here is a passage of spiritual opposition for the church. We don't talk about this much in the church anymore for I don't know what reason, but the reality is Ephesians 6 says that even in today's day and age, we are in a spiritual battle for the church. Do you believe that? Do you see that around you today? And so in, in this passage, what happens is Peter and John go running out from this place because God shows up, and when they had nothing to say against them, they just let them go. And they went to their own people. In verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. And let's, listen to what happens here in verse 23. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And said this, so in the midst of this spiritual opposition, in the midst of this man, we want to accomplish something for God's kingdom, but we can't seem to get any traction. They lifted their voices together to God and said this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples Plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, thus the title. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Earth-shattering prayer. 
That's what the church was built on, and that's what the church is built on today. Believe it or not, as you guys meet here today, you are going to be encountering opposition to the Word of God. And our only hope to having a church established here in Kelowna, our only hope in Niagara is that we would be a people who passionately prayed and asked God, God, would you overcome all that is coming against us and going to come against us that your church might go forth with power and glory. You see this all the time in your lives. Every time you see this opposition all the time in your own personal lives. Again, I think Satan's greatest tool for us in our North American church is we don't talk about it at all. So we don't talk about it, it's unseen, we don't realize it's happening, but you see this opposition every time you open up the word of God in your lives. Have you not noticed that some of the hardest things you can do in life are the spiritual things that bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? you not notice that? That when you open up God's word, it seems that everything of your to-do list seems to fly through your head a thousand times. When you try praying sometimes, it's like, it's like 30 seconds of prayer is like an hour worth of labor. You guys, you, guys, you guys can interact with me. At my church, I encourage you to like to nod. I, I encourage that. You can say yes, amen, those kind of things. Just to give you the freedom. You don't have to. Just give you the freedom to do that. Do you guys, are you guys with me? Okay, I, I thought maybe it was just me. I thought it was just me all alone. And we see that. We see the opposition that happens. We even see Sunday mornings going to church. What happens Sunday mornings going to church? Man, in our house, it's the hardest day of the week. We've got... Two kids, 11 years old and 9-year-old, we have a surprise coming the end of August. So one of those things that's like, whoa, and it's just going to get harder. But we, every Sunday morning, Saturday and Sunday morning, it's the hardest time of the week for us because the enemy so desperately doesn't want us to be in church on Sunday morning with a happy heart for Jesus Christ. We see this when we go to witness to people. We see this as we strive to live out the calling of Jesus Christ. We see this when we're down in our lives. Whenever we get down, it seems to say the enemy throws temptation. The, temp- the one temptation that seems to be our worst, he throws it past us a thousand times because there is spiritual opposition in this world just like there was in the New Testament. And it's the same for the church. I'm just helping you see that this is real. Ephesians 6 is real. It's the same for the church. You don't see the opposition you have, but there is opposition to the church. Satan wants to oppose every gathering of believers in the name of Jesus here in Kelowna. That's why I believe you've been having trouble in the school here. We've had the same issues in our church, in our school. We've moved five times in three and a half years because the enemy is actively opposing a church that's going to bring life and newness of life in this city. And so what's our recourse for the opposition? What's the only recourse we have in this opposition is to do what the believers in the New Testament did when they were released. They went to their their people and their people instinctively did this. They started praying. They started praying to Jesus Christ and saying, God, would you build your church? Would you do what only you can do? Because Satan is routed, how? By the word of God through spirit-driven prayer. That's the only way Satan is defeated. defeated. It's not by trying harder. It's not by muscling over. It's by getting on your faces and saying, God, we can't do this. You have to do it. So the church is built on prayer. This is just setting up the text here. You have to know this today. As a water is to a plant, so prayer is to a believer and a church. A plant that gets no water withers and dies. A believer that has no prayer. A church that is not saturated in prayer will wither and will die quickly. And so we need to be like God's people. 
This is our third pillar. We need to be like God's people in the New Testament. We need to be a people who instinctively seek God first. That's the first point I want to pull out of this passage this morning. Christ builds his church. Christ builds his people through a people who are driven by prayer. Through a people driven by seeking God first as an instinct. It seems so simple to us who've grown up in the church, but it's so profound, really, when you think about it. First response of God's people in great opposition, their lives are being threatened, is to not run and hide, but to get on their faces and pray. Clear in this text that the early believers understood the grace and the power and the blessing of prayer. They understood that when the Ceiling starts shaking a little bit when the ground starts getting a little bit unsettled, when there's a proverbial wall in front of them. It's not a work harder, it's not a try and figure things out, it's to get on my face and pray. This is what God calls his church to be. Our culture, we've made it about so many other things. We've made it about programs and about connecting and even some about a dating service. This is not what God has called the church to be. Isaiah 56, verse 7, the response of the God's people in the New Testament, the response of our heart should be this, for my house shall be a house of prayer. Prayer in the book of Acts is so important for us because it's a link between the Gospels and the Epistles. It's a link between Christ teaching on prayer and the believers putting it into practice. And so we see right from chapter 1 of Acts that the early church didn't just talk about prayer, didn't just preach about prayer once a season to keep people happy. It was a church that was built on prayer. Look at some of the teachings in Acts with me on the screen here. You think about the, the atmosphere of prayer in the apostolic church. In 1 verse 4, the church was born in the atmosphere of prayer. In answer to prayer, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church Prayer was in Acts 2, 42 and 6, 4 and 6. The church's heartbeat. What drove the church? It was prayer. In Acts 4, 31, the prayer was, prayer was directly related to the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power. In Acts 4, 23, prayer was the gag reflux of the church in times of crisis. Prayer was a defining quality of church leaders. They could preach, but they couldn't pray. They weren't qualified to be a church leader. Prayer was urged among the believers. In other words, they prayed hard and they prayed often in the church. The church is a collection of believers. It's not just the pastor's job to pray. Sometimes we forget that. It's not just the, 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 the staff job, the elder's job to pray. It's the job of the church to pray. It's what we're called to be. It's what we're called to do if we want to see the power of Jesus Christ alive in us. We know that prayer takes on many different uh, avenues. We see intercessory, intercessory prayer in the scriptures. We see prayers of worship and prayers, prayers of petition and prayers of confession and prayers of salvation and prayers of faith. But in this context, here's what prayer is. It's that, that urgent calling out, that intercessory to God saying, God, please show up. Oh, how we desperately need you. That God, if you don't show up, we're done, we're finished, we're through. But oh God, if you come, 
Oh, there's life. Oh, there's power. This is what we're called to be as a community of believers. Again, in our North American culture, we segregate somehow. We think so individualistic. And we know we're supposed to be people of prayer, a person of prayer. We're supposed to be a people of prayer, a community of prayer. And this is an urgent prayer. Put yourself in the place of the early church when your leaders are being persecuted, when there's threats all around you, when it seems like the church that Jesus died to start isn't even going to get off the ground because of everything that's going on around. Think of the urgency in those prayers. We have the same urgency today. We have the same urgency in our own hearts. We have the same urgency in our own church. I realize the older I get, the more I believe John 15 verse 5 in my own heart and in our church as a whole. Where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we really believe that today, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing? Regardless of what you say, you know how you know if you really believe that? By the quality and the depth of your prayer life, individually and together. If you really believe that, let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed a prayer of desperation to God for your own heart and for this church, to see this church move forward for Jesus Christ? When was the last time you got on your face and said, God, oh, how God, we need you? I've served in church ministry now for 18 years. I know it comes a shock to most because they pegged me at about 30. I just turned 40 years old. Served in the church now for 18 years, and this is the first church I've served in that's truly understood the power of prayer as evidenced, you know how, by the prayer meetings of the church. In all my other positions as a youth pastor, as an associate pastor, I would come to the senior pastor and say, well, what about we pray as a church? He'd look at me, pray. No one's going to show up. Well, then what are we doing? And then when I go to those prayer meetings, you know it was more like? It was more like a party or a social gathering there was there's not really a sense of urgency it was more of a dear Jesus please be with and bless so and so and help grandma's ingrown toenail which I'm sure is a healthy prayer at times but but the urgency just wasn't there remember scratching my head with my wife and going like like no wonder our church isn't seeing souls saved no wonder our church isn't living out the truth of God's word. No wonder so many people think that this is like 2,000 years ago and not, a, not relevant for today because we've stopped praying. Remember a book I read by Jim Simbola from Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And it was a book back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s that really ignited my heart. These things are stirring within me early on in ministry. I read this book and it was called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. If you, if you haven't read it, pick it up. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And in that book, he talks about his first pastorate, and he was an Anglo-American guy set in New York City in an African-American context in a little dying church where nothing was happening, and when he'd preach, people would be sleeping, and he got to a point where he was like, what in the world is going to ignite this church? And he got preaching one Sunday, Sunday night, I think it was, and, and he just finally just broke, and he's like, this is, nothing is happening. And so he, as he started his sermon, the same 12 people were there, and he finally was like, you know what, we need the Spirit of God to come and to blow this place wide open. We stopped preaching, he got on his face and started praying, and when he 
opened his eyes, the whole church was at the front praying with him. And that was a turning point for that church, which is now a thriving church, seeing many people come to know Jesus Christ. And in that book, he says, prayer is the barometer of the church. And so my first chance to officially lead a church as a senior pastor, I determined in my heart, because scripture tells us to, and because we know it's real and powerful, I determined that prayer was going to be the barometer of our church. And so for four years now, we've been gathering together, even before we planted a church, and we'd get on our knees and we'd pray, God, please come into our midst and do what only you can. And so four years ago, as we gathered as a church, we came back from our time in Chicago like Pastor Meldon did in January of 2011. We gathered with 25 people in a room. You know what we did? We got, on it. We, we got rid of our chairs. We got on our knees and we started calling to God, God, if you don't show up, Exodus 33, we're not going. Because if you don't go with us, we're doomed, we're dead. This is going to be the most frustrating thing of my life. But God, if you come, it's going to be awesome. And we started praying. We didn't advertise except for a few radio spots after uh, James McDonald and Robbie Simons online. We just prayed. And before you knew it, we got to 40 people in a little house. And we're like, man, we, we, we can't contain these 40 people. What are we going to do? So we moved to a, a hotel conference center, uh, got a room that sat 60. Thought this will do us for a few months. The first meeting we had in there, 60 people showed up. And we were like, hmm? Do we keep meeting here? No, by faith we got a bigger room that was sat about 100 people and we just kept praying the whole way and God kept bringing people from who knows where. And before we launched, we had a core group of 80 adults and we, God provided us a school to lease the whole school. We were fired up thinking that God was moving and I went to sign the lease for that school. You've met John McMullen. John and I went to sign this lease and uh, everything we agreed to verbally, another board member from this school showed up and everything we had said yes to, he said no to. And so we thought we were going to cross a few T's, dot a few I's, and be done. And we actually came out of a half an hour meeting with no place to meet and meeting and going to launch our church in two weeks. And we told our people, it's going to be God or it's going to be nothing. So let's now seek God to do what we know he can do. And so I stood up in front of our core group, a group about this size, and said, as a good leader that I am, we have no plan B. And so what are we going to do? And so literally I asked our people Put the chairs on the side and get on your knees and call out to God because this is a God thing or a nothing. And our people prayed fervently that night. Like the, the walls were resounding with people's prayers. God, come and do what only you can do. And within two days, we had another school that was previously closed to us. And when we launched two weeks later, 250 people showed up on our first Sunday showing us that the first school that we were going to meet in would have been far too small parking lot-wise and capacity. Our faith was too small. And God brought us to a place where like, people just kept coming and we're like, where are they coming from? We don't know, but we don't care. We're going to preach the word of God. We're going to worship Jesus Christ. We're going to boldly evangelize. And that has kept happening in three and a half years. At the end of that eight months, the first school year, that school kicked us out of that school. Where do we go next? We went to our knees. God provided us another school that seemed way too big for us. And our little church of like 250, 300 at that point was like, this is a massive facility. What are we going to do with it? Well, a year later, we had it filled. We didn't. Christ did. And so this past fall, we went to two services at that facility and We've had times where the finances have been low. Our elders, what are we going to tell our people finances are low? No, we're not. What are we going to do? We're going to pray that God's spirit would 
put in people's hearts to give, and he has done that. And every year we've broken even budget with now six staff members in three and a half years with a church that's growing. Why, 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 why am I telling you this? Not so that you can say you guys are awesome because we're not awesome. I already, you know, I'm not a great preacher. You already get that. Why is this happening? Because God's people are praying and taking God at his word. For the Christian community, praying should be just like breathing. So breathing is a response to physical life, so prayer should be the response of spiritual life. And, and if the prayers of this church go forward, we will see God do great things here in Kelowna. I am convinced of it. You know why? Because God promises he will hear the prayers of his children. A man named Leonard Ravenhill says this, let the fires go out in the boiler room of the church and the place will still look smart and clean, but it will be cold. The prayer room is the boiler room for its spiritual life. I commend this to you, Harvest Kelowna, because our time is short. Life is fleeting. I'm still coming to grips with just turning 40 years old. I still feel like I'm 25. And we know our time on earth is short. We have not long to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. And so what do we do? We pray our hearts out and we pray believing this, believing that God is supreme in all things. This is the heart of the prayer of the people here in Acts 4. That's point number two, a people driven by prayer. Pray this is true in your hearts. I'm praying this for my church. I'm praying this for your church and the other Bible-believing churches, not just harvest in our country. Because when people pray, God will move. People driven by prayer, earth-shattering prayer starts with seeking God first. Not trying to fix things or figure things out on our own or find someone else to help us figure it out, our natural human tendency. But to come to God believing that we have a God who is supreme and active in our lives and our world. Listen to the heart of the prayer here of the early believers. Here's what they prayed. They got on their faces and said to God, Sovereign Lord, who's made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The, king of the, earth set them, the kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, get this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Ultimately, God's people came, realizing that they served an awesome God who is supreme above all things. They prayed with a belief in an omnipotent God, who'd be faithful to his promises. Ultimately, they're rooted in this truth, that God is big enough, and God is strong enough to handle not just everything in their own lives, but everything in their church's lives together. This term here, sovereign Lord, is a term that means absolute ruler. It's a term that puts God on the throne of the universe term that's seldom used in the New Testament and even more seldom used in the church of God today. But it's a term that, that 
When they were at their neediest, they realized that they had a God who was over everything in their lives. I believe it's a term we need to come back to as we pray. As we pray for God to do something in our hearts and in our church, a term we have to come back to, I think, in our desire in North America to help people see the imminence of God, the closeness of God, a God who loves them and sacrificed his son on the cross for them. We've shortchanged in a massive way the transcendence of God. Being that there is a God who is not just close to us and near us, but a God who is very much unlike us and sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. A God who sits in all power and all majesty and all glory. And so what we've done is we've set ourselves up to kind of believe in a small God. A God who's just like we are. A God who we ask for things, but then we have to go and do it ourselves because God really can't help us. And we miss out on praying some earth-rattling prayers of seeing God do what God is capable of doing throughout the whole Bible and capable of doing today. But our churches don't thrive and our hearts don't move forward because we've limited God into some tiny little box. Whereas the New Testament believers came to God with a massive view of the God of the universe. Says here, the one who created all things, the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, to come to a God as a powerful God. They come to God as a powerful God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And if God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, then what can He not do in our lives and our churches today? You live your life with this awe of God. Is this the God you're calling out to for your, his work to be done here at Harvest Niagara? Or sorry, Harvest Kelowna? The same God that we have at Harvest Niagara? The same God that established the church and the foundation of the world? Think of how big this God is. I'm telling you this because I think this is going to fuel your prayers. I know this will fuel your prayers. You think of your own hearts and your church. Think of how big God is, the creator of the universe. Isaiah 40 tells us, Isaiah 40 tells us that God sits high enthroned above the circle of the earth. It tells us that God is so big that if you were to look in the heavens and you were to picture the skies from as far as you can see to the left to as far as you can see to the right, his hand alone covers the breadth of the skies. It tells us that he brings rulers to power and brings the nations to nothing. It tells us that he holds the universe, the waters of the universe in the palm of his hand. Have you read Isaiah 40 lately? Think of how much, think how much water that your hand can hold in its palm. Barely enough to tickle the dryness of your throat. Think of a palm of a hand that has to be big enough to hold even, is it Kelowna Lake? Is that what it's called, Lake Kelowna? Perfect. That's where we swam yesterday. Think, think of the palm of the hand the size of the palm has to hold even the water of that lake, that beautiful lake out there. Now think of the Pacific and the Atlantic and all the waters of the universe. Think of the size of the hand. To hold in the palm the waters. Now look at my hand compared to my body. 
I got little hands. I'm a little man. Look at the size of my hand compared to my body. That's just the hand of God. And the God behind that hand is mind-boggling. He is massive. He has all power, it says. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24, he has all power and dominion and authority. And, and really this little quote here in verses 25 and 26 is a quote from Psalm chapter 2. Where David is prophesying of how the nations will rise up and reject Jesus Christ as king. And in Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, it says they can rise up all they want. You know what God does at that? He laughs at them. You're going to rise up against me? Go ahead. Try. Our God is all powerful. Do you realize how powerful our God is? Look at your own life, how God has opened your eyes to see the truth of Jesus Christ and saved you from the path of destruction and hell to a path of life and blessing in heaven in Jesus Christ. That's a powerful God. And this, brothers and sisters, is the God that we pray to on a continual basis. Not only is God all-powerful, it says here, but God is, God is in complete control. Our God is in complete control of every circumstance of your life and every circumstance of your church. God is in complete control. It says in verse 27 that all these things that were, that God's people were expressing belief that all these things that were happening around them, they believed that God was in them. And God had appointed these things to happen. And so if God was all-powerful and he appointed these things to happen, surely God was going to provide a way through from these things. It says in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God is not just all-powerful. God is in complete control of everything. This is the God that we pray to. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve as followers of Jesus Christ. And this is a God who can do absolutely anything in our lives and in our church. This is, the mind, is this the mindset you have as you come to God in prayer on a, I pray, daily basis? Is this the God you come to realizing that there is nothing beyond the control of God? So you guys don't have a facility in a couple weeks? Who cares? You think God can't take care of that? So you guys have loved ones that aren't saved yet and don't know Jesus Christ and you've given up on praying for them. You don't think that God can save those souls and reach down you know, and rescue more people for him? Of course he can. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, He is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is in complete control. Nothing happens apart from the watchful eye of God. We live really close to the border in Niagara, so we're always over in Buffalo. And the guys who control that border, the border guides, there can be some interesting fellows that were always like, man, these guys can either let us across or they can like, you know, make us stay. We're at their complete mercy every time we go. We tell our kids, smiley faces, don't say anything wrong. Only nod, only ask the questions he asks you. He can say you can go or he can say you stay. That's the God that we serve over the whole universe. And that's the God that we pray to. I am shocked at how often I forget this in my prayers. I am shocked at how often I can preach this and then have a hard time practicing it. 
a moment of honesty and vulnerability here on a daily basis. Because somehow we've tried to bring God down to here and God's not down here at all. God is way up there. Serve us well to remember that as we call out to God for what he's doing in our lives and our church. I think of when my kids were little and how they so quickly call out to me for help. Now as they get older, they call out to me last. I'm the last person they call out to for help. But how quickly they call out to me for help when they were little. Remember once my son had a little car, one of his favorite little cars he was playing with. And uh, as he was messing around with it, somehow the back wheels came off and they were hanging on by a thread and it, he, he totally shattered the back wheels off and right away tears start flying and like, Daddy, help me! And I looked at the car, I'm like, Son, that was your favorite car, but I think it's done now. I remember looking at me like, Dad, just fix it! I'm like, I'm serious. I don't think I can fix this. I'm not handy at all. I went to give it back to him. He wouldn't take it back. He's like, Dad, just fix it. Do it. And so I was like, okay, here we go. Held my tongue the wrong way probably a thousand times trying to fix this thing, you know. Finally, somehow, as I prayed, God, fix this car for me, please. The back wheel snapped into place and I handed it back to him. He said to me, he's like, thanks, Dad. I knew you could do it. Childlike prayers childlike prayers of God's people will see God do incredible things in our lives. The childlike prayers of God's people will see God do incredible things in our lives. How often as a church and individual we don't even come to God in prayer. You know why? Because we don't think he can do it. Or we've already predetermined what's going to happen instead of allowing God to be the sovereign God to predetermine what's going to happen. We've already decided for God what's going to happen and so we miss out on the blessing and the power of prayer. But yet God is our eternal Father that truly can fix every little scenario circumstance he can fix it with the snap of his fingers with the thought of his breath with the thought of his head with the word of his breath because we serve a big God I encourage you to take God out of your little box that you've put him in that we've all made a little box for God in our hearts take him out of that box get your heart in God's word again and see the majesty of Jesus Christ and come to him in the view of who he really is God is a big God, amen? God's also a faithful God. It says in 2 Timothy that even when you and I are faithless, which let's be honest, more times we like to admit, even when we are faithless, God is what? Faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He's faithful to his children. He's faithful to his church. And don't forget that God is good. That God is great it doesn't mean your life is going to work out perfectly the way you expect. It doesn't mean your church is going to go the way that you thought it would. But God is still good and God is still great and God is still for his people. 100% of the time. Earth-shattering prayer comes as I seek God first. As I trust in God's supremacy. And finally this, as I passionately pursue greater impact. As I passionately pursue greater impact, I love these last few verses of this passage. I love the last few verses of these passage. And now look, 
upon their threats, it says here, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Will you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, when they prayed seeking God first, when they prayed the trust in the power and the sovereignty of God, here's what happened. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and the place was shaken. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Continue to speak the word of God with boldness. A people driven by prayer passionately pursue greater impact. Somehow we've missed today that the church is not a social club, that the church is not a comfy cottage for vacationers, that the church of Jesus Christ is a battle shelter and a rallying headquarters for those engaging in the mission of Jesus Christ. This is what the church is today. It's a shelter and a rallying headquarters for those engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. It's not supposed to be a country club or a place where we meet friends. It's supposed to be a place where you and I come together and pray these types of prayers. God, use us for your kingdom, I pray. God, use us for your glory. God, we need you. Our prayers can so often revolve around my family and my provisions and my ease and my comfort and more blessing. But notice how the church of Jesus Christ prayed in the New Testament. They didn't pray for any of those things. What did they pray? What did they pray here? Help us be bold. Help us be bold. Help us, God, impact. Help us allow more people to see your glory in this place. Think today if this would have happened. Take out a pastor and an elder and take them behind the shed and beat them up and send them back and tell them to quit. You know what our people will be praying? God, take this away. God, take this away. Protect us, Lord. Protect us, Lord. Make this easy for us. Make this comfortable for us. Do you see anywhere in Scripture where the, new, the believers lived comfortable and easy lives? Anywhere? Me neither. Instead, they asked God, use this. They had a bigger perspective, a bigger idea of the kingdom of God, a bigger idea of what this life is all about than simply ease and comfort. They said, okay, God, you've ordained all this as part of your plan. Now simply give us the strength to rise up underneath the opposition and God, use this for more, for more glory for your kingdom. Three quick prayers they prayed. They said, God, take notice. God, take notice, I pray that our church and your church and all the other Harvest churches and churches that preach the authority of God's word, I pray that, they would, that we would pray these prayers. God, take notice. Notice how they don't pray anything like, take this away. They simply say, God, turn your eye to us. Take notice of what's happening. Kind of like a, Dad! That's all you got to say. Remember when you're a kid and you're in trouble? Dad! You didn't have to say, rescue me from the pool or get this bully off of me. You just yelled, Dad, what would happen? Your dad would instinctively do what he's supposed to do. Same with God. They say, God, notice. God did it. They said, Lord, give us boldness. Lord, take notice. They believe that God has their best. Just God, take notice. Lord, give us boldness. They didn't pray for anything, but God, give us more daring capacity to share Jesus Christ in this situation. 
Lord, give us more fervor for your kingdom. God, give us more fervor for the lost. Give us the ability to stand strong in opposition. When the world hates us, God, give us the ability to stand up when everyone else is sitting down. Give us, oh God, the ability to endure when our coworkers and friends and family don't like us and we're rejected. Give us the ability to keep going strong. Give us boldness. Boldness is not, just to understand, boldness is not the arrogant standing on a street corner with a megaphone yelling and telling people they're going to hell. That's not boldness. Boldness is willingly sharing Jesus Christ every time the opportunity comes, taking a big gulp and saying, wow, I have a Savior, I have a hope, and His name is Jesus. That's boldness, and I pray that you know Him too. Give us more boldness. And then they pray this, God, work in power. Oh God, work in power. Stretch out your hand, it says, to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I'm not advocating a circus here where we get off into some crazy things of what the Bible says the Holy Spirit is not. What I am advocating here is what the scriptures advocate. Ask God to do the miraculous in us and that is more than um, some of these charismatic movements where they're laughing like hyenas and barking like dogs. That's not the spirit signs that they're talking about here. The greatest thing that God can do to shake us is to rattle our souls with life in Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't need signs and wonders. We have all the signs and wonders we need. He came and died on the cross and was buried and rose again. That's the sign and wonder we need. And now the greatest sign and wonder he does is he changes our lives and takes the very disposition of hearts, the wicked hearts that we have, and takes the wickedness and instills righteousness in them, takes the dead souls we have and gives us hearts of life in Jesus Christ. That's the most miraculous thing we can see God do on this planet. And that ought to be the prayers of our hearts more than anything else that we think we want or we need, more than more money and more vacations and more power and more time and even more sound equipment and more staff and more people, all good things, some of those good things, but what we need more is just the life of Jesus to come and to rattle our souls for his glory. Let me ask you this, when was the last time your prayers got to some of these things rather than some of the normal things we find ourselves praying for? Rather than a God bless me, a God use me. Rather than a God grow a kingdom here, God grow your kingdom for heaven. Rather than a God help people like me, God help me stand for you regardless of whether people like me. When was the last time you really asked God, here I am, use me. Don't let this life be wasted for you, O Father. Don't let me waste my life, God. Don't let me walk by my coworkers and my friends Every day and not share Jesus Christ. Don't let me just go through the motions at church. Don't let me, oh God, just settle to exist. Help me thrive and survive and thrive in Jesus Christ. When was the last time your prayers revolved around seeing God come and rattle this world through your life for his glory? Some of us, I assume it might have been a long time. For others, it might have been yesterday, regardless I pray that God stirs our hearts to keep on this path. These are the prayers that change the world. These are the prayers that grow a church. These are the prayers that change your life. In this context, after these people prayed, 8,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through the days that followed. 
8,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through the days that followed because God's people sought him first, believed, and let the power and the greatness of God direct their prayers and not their own human thoughts and limitations. And then prayed bold prayers for the kingdom of God. Do I believe this can still happen today? Absolutely. We're seeing it in different places around the world. We're seeing it here in Canada at Harvest Oakville. We're seeing it in other harvests in Canada, the United States. We're seeing it in our church. Power of prayer. I ask myself all the time, what could God do with 10 people who are fully devoted to loving Jesus and preaching his word and praying their hearts out the way the scriptures tell us to? What could God do with 10 people that were devoted to Christ and the biblical mandate to be his church? Limitless. Limitless. You know how every revival in the history of the world, if you study revivals, you know how they started? How'd they start? Not an evangelist. Not a powerful preacher. God's people having a heart for this, their community and this kingdom and saying, God, do that here, I pray. Little groups of people praying their hearts as where every revival started. Could it be here in Kelowna? It could. Could it continue in Niagara? I believe it could. And it will, but only as God's people pray. What could God do with 100 people at Harvest Kelowna who are committed to the Lord and committed to prayer? I don't even want to begin to imagine. When we started our church, John McMullen challenged me to pray for 120 people at launch. I didn't have the faith. 250 people showed up at our launch. And he's going, told you so. Told you so. Where do my prayers go now? God, do it. We're just beginning. You're just beginning. This is the foundation for a church on fire for Jesus Christ that's going to rattle Kelowna with the glory of God. It's not just the pastor that prays. It's not just the elders that prays. It's a group of people coming together. What could God do with 100 people here in Kelowna through the power of prayer? Set this place on fire with the fire of the Holy Spirit. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people will pray, I will do it. Will you pray? Will you be set apart by the Lord? Be a people who praise. Let me pray. God, I thank you this morning for the power of the word of God. Lord, I thank you this morning for the grace you've given us in Jesus Christ to live the Christian life. God, I thank you this morning for the most powerful weapon you've given us by your grace, the power of prayer. And God, I pray that you'd motivate us and move us, God, to be a people who praise, not a people who talk about prayer, who know all the theological things about prayer, but a people who actively live this out. We swing our feet out of bed in the morning and our natural position is on our knees in prayer. God, our, your, call your people to not be a fist up fight, but to be on our knees, hands folded fight. And God, you promise when you do that, you'll show up in ways that we could never imagine. God, would you do that here upon this church at Harvest Kelowna? Thank you for this people who are already passionate about the things that you care about as evidenced by their, their, their lives here this morning, their attendance here. God, would you continue to bless them and mold them and shape them and, and even refine them, God, in 
the power of prayer. And God, I pray for this church. I pray that in five years, they could look back on this humble beginnings and say, wow, it can only be because God's people prayed. God, I pray that they can look back in 10 years and say, look what God has done. There's no way that man could have done this. It's only as God's people prayed. For then, God, you will truly receive the honor and the glory, and you will be pleased among this land. God, please revive us, revive our nation, revive our hearts, revive our church in the power of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.